We are continuing in our series on the parables of Jesus using material from Ellsworth Callis' book, Parables from the Backside. Today we hear the story of the laborers in the vineyard, and I'm reading to you from Matthew chapter 20. Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into the vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he found others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again at noon and at about three o'clock, the same thing. At five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree to the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to choose what to do with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of God for all of us. Thanks be to God. I ask you please to pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O God, thou our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever had a pay situation that you thought was unfair? Something where you thought you weren't getting the right amount or someone else uh, around you was overpaid, it didn't feel right? When I worked at Northwestern University in my early 20s, there were two parallel positions that were held by young women in their 20s. I was the coordinator of special programs and Sarah was the coordinator of conference planning. My job was to run non-credit academic programs. I was busier during the school year, but I also ran a week-long alumni event every summer that was crazy busy. But otherwise, the rest of the summer wasn't that busy for me. My colleague, Sarah, had kind of the opposite job. She worked with all the outside groups that came in and rented space from the university over the summer. So the conference planning happened year-round, but most of the, the events were heaviest in the summertime. I always assumed we made the same thing. Then I found out that we didn't. I found out Sarah made more. I got to admit, I thought since my job was busier nine months and hers was busier three months, I thought that if one of us made more, surely it would be me. <laughs> it was not. 
<laughs> it really fried me. It was funny how it upset me, although I'd been happy with my wage before I found out that Sarah made more. This issue of wage is a powerful one. It has to do with the amount of money we make, but it also has to do with it in comparison to others. It, it affects our wallets and our bills, but it also seems to hit deep places in our self-esteem, and it's a vulnerable area for us. Many of us can struggle over how we feel about money and the wages we receive, and then we hear this story from Jesus, and we think, you have got to be kidding me. It's, for many of us, it's not a favorite story. What is he talking about? What is the point of this? We learn about a landowner. It's harvest time, we assume. Uh, assume it's the grape harvest. There must be a ton of grapes they've got to go pick. And so the landowner goes out to the place where all the day laborers are, hires a few, sends them out. In those days, we're looking at a 12-hour workday, 6 a.m., 6 p.m., so he went at six, hired a bunch, and he said he'd give them the usual daily wage, a denarius. Fair is fair. But he went again at nine and hired more. He must have had a whole lot to pick. Then he went again, and the group at nine, he didn't say what the wage would be. He just said, you know, I'll do what's right. So the group hired at nine, go and work. Then he hires another group at noon. He hires another group at three, he even goes at 5 p.m. when there's only one hour left in the workday. And he asks them, why are you still here? They say, well, no one hired us. So he hires them. Off they go to work for one hour. At the end of the day, he gets his foreman, and he has the foreman get the people together, but the people hired last, he pays first. So you can imagine, everyone would be very curious about what he's going to pay. The people come up, they've worked one hour, he pays them a silver coin, the whole day's wage. Wow! Imagine how the people felt when they were in that group. So then he slowly gets back to pay the people in the other groups. The people who'd been there all day, who'd worked a 12-hour shift, they assumed, well, if he pays a full denarius to the people who showed up for one hour, imagine what he'll give us. They got up to the front, and he gave them one denarius. They thought, wait a minute. We worked all day. you got to be kidding. And they questioned him about it. And he says, now, didn't you agree to one denarius? Well, yeah. Are you envious because I'm jealous? Or I'm sorry, are you jealous because I'm generous? Well, Yes. <laughs> yes, they were jealous because he was generous. Because if he was going to be generous, surely the generosity was going to come to them. Surely the generosity would be to the people who worked 12 hours, not one hour. You've got to be kidding me. This is an uncomfortable story. It doesn't feel just in our thinking about work and economics. Kalos points out that the position of this story is instructive to us. It comes right after another troubling story about faith and money. A wealthy young man went to Jesus and asked him, Teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts going through the list of things to do, and the man says, Oh, I, I already do all that. What else? And Jesus, well... 
Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. The young man was very wealthy. The man wasn't willing to do that. And he went away sad. That really creeped out the disciples. They watched that happen. And the rich guy, they wanted him with them. They wanted him to join their group. Maybe he would pay for things. They wanted the rich guy to be one of them. And instead, he chose money rather than Jesus, and it made them anxious. And so Peter asked them, you know, Jesus, we've given up everything. We've left our families. What do we get? And Jesus says, well, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll inherit eternal life. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll receive the, the blessings of follow me and, and eternal life, you know. Absolutely. And then he says, but many who were first will be last, and some of the last will be first. And it left them unsettled. Callous jokes that Peter would have turned to one or the other and said, okay, if I ever write this out, I'm leaving that story out of it. <laughs> we just, ooh. So some of the first are going to be last. I don't like this. It makes us uncomfortable. In that unease, then Jesus told the story of the laborers of the vineyard. He's trying to shift their understanding of who God is and how God works. And he doesn't make them more comfortable, he makes them less comfortable with this unsettling story. When we hear this story, we tend to put ourselves in the place of the one who worked 12 hours. And we imagine what we might have been given extra from this generous landowner, and we feel aggrieved. Callus encourages us to put ourselves in the place of the person who worked one hour, the person who'd been out there waiting all day. The crucial, the turning point in, in our perspective is that little interchange between the landowner and the people who were there at five o'clock. The landowner asks, why, why have you been idle all day? And the, the workers say, no one hired us. Callus remembers, it can be terrible not to be hired. Unemployment is really, really difficult. And then Callus remembered a time in his childhood. As a kid, he had this idea in his head that unemployment only happened to those people, to the lazy people, the people who didn't try, those, those people are the ones who experience unemployment. And then one day he came home from school and his dad was there. His dad wasn't usually there when he came home from school. He saw his mother, he saw his dad, he saw his two big sisters, and he said, Dad, dad why are you home? His dad kind of paused and his mother said, your father's lost his job. Callus doesn't go into detail, but it sounds like it took a while for his father to get a job again. And suddenly Callus understood that, that unemployment can happen to anyone, and it feels terrible. It can go way longer than we want it to go. And it's not only the financial stress of that, but the emotional stress of not feeling wanted. It can be awful. As I read Callus' story, I thought of our own family experience. I moved around as much as I have because my dad lost his job. Mom and dad met in Illinois, were transferred out to California. They worked, dad worked out there 19 years. And then the company for which he worked shut down the whole plant. 
everyone lost their jobs. That's why we moved to New Jersey. We were, lived in New Jersey four and a half years. The company was bought out by another company. They fired all the top management. Dad's out of work again. We came to Illinois. Now, I love my life in Illinois. This has turned out pretty well for us. And I'm not, we did not have terrible suffering. I'm, I'm not telling you any kind of tragic story. But we underwent unemployment those times. It was really hard. Dad actually had unemployment one other time. The steel industry is a tough industry, and Dad suffered in the midst of something that was a national issue, but felt very personal. It does not feel good to be unemployed. And when you're unemployed, boy, the idea of someone giving you extra money for a little bit of work, that would be amazing. When you're in that situation of vulnerability, some extra act of generosity would mean the world. I thought about this story of day laborers and uh, people who go out and wait and hope to be hired and remembered that I was a day laborer. I was a day laborer when I was 26 and 27 years old. In my, when I was 26, I'd worked at my job at Northwestern for four years, and I had this sense in my spirit that God wanted me to do something different. I thought it was to work with a Christian organization or a nonprofit in the Chicago area, tried to job hunt and work full-time. I just couldn't make it work. After a lot of prayer and counsel, I took the leap, and I left my job. And I've got to tell you, I, I was proud. I thought, I'll get a job right away. And people, oh, you'll get snapped up right away. I, piece of cake. It wasn't a piece of cake. <laughs> it was really hard. I went on a lot of interviews and I did not get hired right away. In the meantime, I had to support myself. And so I worked a lot of different jobs. At one point, I had five jobs. So I was working all these different schedules, doing whatever I could to feed myself and pay my student loan and pay for gas in the car and all of that. It was a very stressful time of depending upon the Lord. At one point, I had a job coming up, but it wasn't going to start right away. And so I started working for a temp agency. I had some office skills. And so I was an office temp. I was a pretty new in that agency. They'd been around a long time, so the long-term people would get sent out on the cushier, longer-term jobs. The new people, you were kind of dependent on the little short jobs, a day or two at a time. But they had a feature that if, if they didn't... If, if you didn't have an assignment someplace else and you wanted to work, you could be in the day pool. And so I, I lived up on the northeast side of Chicago. I would take the L down to the loop in my suit, look right for work, wherever it was going to be, and I would sit in a line. And if someone called in that morning that they needed office help, you'd get sent out. And I'd wait in that line hoping I would get hired. If I didn't get hired, I would get a little stipend that they gave us for showing up so that they could respond to day of requests, but it wasn't like getting the full day pay. I remember what it was like sitting there, and whether or not I got hired, my bills hadn't changed. I still needed to pay the rent. I still needed to feed myself and buy gas and all of those things. Nothing changed. I really needed a full day's wage, but I didn't always get it. I was glad for the little stipend I got. It was something. But wow, would it have been amazing on one of those days that I waited in the line and hoped that I'd get sent out, if I'd gotten a full day's pay, wow, that would have been great. 
When we think about employment, too often we think about the fully employed and we forget how hard it is when you're not the fully employed. The stress of that, the financial disease it can be, as well as the emotional toll of that situation. All of that would be a powerful lesson to this parable, but we know it goes to a much deeper level. Callus brings it to the level of what it means to have Christ in our lives, what it means to have meaning and purpose in our lives. There's being hired, meaning we have a job that pays us, and then there's a different sense of being hired, of having a sense of meaning and purpose in our lives. Everyone wants to be hired. Everyone wants to feel needed, that there's something that we do that makes a difference, why people want us to be alive in the world. And as much as many people have a sense of meaning and purpose, we also know that many people don't. And they kind of wander through lives, through life feeling adrift and unneeded. He talks about how we need to be hired by something of purpose. Some people go through their lives thinking the next thing is going to fulfill them. And so, well, life will be good once I get to school, or life will be good once I finish school, or once I get a job, or once I get married, or once I have a child. And they have this whole list of things. Once that thing happens, then I'll have a sense of meaning and purpose. And the tragic thing is sometimes people can check off all those markers and still not have a sense of meaning and purpose. They're dragging themselves through their lives, but they feel empty. And they look around like, doesn't, doesn't anyone want me? Doesn't the world want me? I see these other people out there with meaning and purpose, and I don't feel it in my life. The life of following Christ is a life that can be very challenging. I'm not going to pretend it makes things easier. In many ways, it makes things harder. But it is profoundly meaningful. Something powerful happens in our souls when we choose to follow Jesus. And in our baptism, we're given spiritual gifts of how God wants to work through us for the saving of the world. And if we're willing, out we go. God has things for us to do. And we go out and lead lives in which we can serve others and help others and listen and care. And it's powerful. In that sense that Callus brings up, I was hired when I was a kid. I've had that sense of meaning and purpose my whole life. There may have been individual phases where I didn't know exactly what God wanted me to do, but that broader sense of being wanted and needed, what a gift that I've had that my whole life. I've gotten to be a pastor for the last 22 years. It, it's such a gift in my life. I get to do things that really matter and be with precious people. It's, it's such a privilege. What a gift it's been to be hired all of this time. But probably the best part of that gift is watching all of you. It's not just my experience as a pastor. It's watching the congregation. It's watching how you love and serve in the name of Jesus. It's so powerful when I come in on a Sunday and I'll see someone who's going through a hard time and another person listening, just there and listening with such compassion and, and deep care. Or I'll see our greeters and the warmth with which they greet people as they come in the door. And some of those people haven't had a very good day yet. And to receive that warm greeting from our greeters really makes a difference. 
I think about our quilt group, and they get together on Thursday mornings, and there's wonderful fellowship in that group of women, but together they make quilts that are so beautiful and bless lives. Uh, this past June, I went to Tada, the wonderful where they show the quilts they've made so far in the year. There was a gorgeous quilt with ice cream cones all over it. Reverend Rosa Lee is a pastor at Cortland, but also she's our campus minister down at Northern Illinois University, and Rosa pretty much lives for ice cream. So when I saw the ice cream quilt, I knew she had to have it. Just this past Friday, I went down to DeKalb and I gave her the quilt, and I wish you could have seen the look on her face. She was so happy. She pours herself out for our students at NIU, and it's hard work. And she saw that quilt and just everything lit up and she posted it on Facebook. She was so proud. So our quilter group has wonderful fellowship. They make beautiful things. The things that they make are blessings to those who receive them. And the funds raised from it support uh, ministries to United Methodist Women. It is a win, 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 win. All of that meaning and purpose in a life of living with Christ. Or our hammer and nails group, people with building skills who go out and work on building projects in the area. Maybe they build a handicap ramp for someone who now needs a wheelchair or they uh, do some kind of uh, repair work for someone who couldn't afford to pay someone else to do it. They use their skills, they take the time, their extra time and they do things that really make a difference in others' lives. These are experiences of meaning and purpose. You have the skills you have and you use them to serve others and it feels great. And I love watching you as, as you live out your Christian faith by serving others. It is so powerful and beautiful to observe. When we look with that set of eyes, with the set of eyes of being hired, meaning having Christ in our lives, having that sense of meaning and purpose, how could you begrudge anyone who didn't have it before? How would I look at someone who came to faith at age 60 when I've had faith my whole life? And why would I judge them that it didn't happen until 60? If anything, I'd think, I'm so sorry it didn't happen earlier. All that time of, of meaningful life with Christ had been missed in that person's life. Or you think about how people can get kind of snarky about someone who has a conversion on their deathbed or a conversion uh, when they're on death row. Isn't it wonderful that it happens then? Isn't it a tragedy that it didn't happen earlier? How sad that all that earlier part of their lives, they didn't know life in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we've been given a powerful gift of knowing what it is to live in Christ's presence and live with that sense of joy and meaning and purpose. It is our job to offer that joy to others. If we know people that are feeling lost, to let them know what we experience of life in Christ, the joy of that, the meaning of that. No, it is not a shield from suffering, but it's being brought into suffering sometimes for powerful reasons, for a greater good beyond what we can say. Thanks be to God who is generous, who pours out grace on people who have loved Christ our whole lives and pours out grace on people who have just showed up, who wants us in uh, God's life, who, who lures us and invites us and said, come, come to the feast whenever you come. 
We'll be so happy to have you. Thanks be to God, who is generous with grace. Amen.